0: I started this economic series a few months ago, remember? Um, This now um, is session 17, literally, although we've done 18 sessions. But I want to complete today part two of Give Trustfully. Everyone say, give trustfully. So really speaking, we've covered 18 sessions on kingdom economics. The financial seminar that we're having this weekend is my attempt to fast-track the teachings. We'll simply continue... And we have several sessions planned. I want to deal very thoroughly in the weekend with the matter of first fruits. There was an unusual anointing back in Lusaka concerning the matter of first fruits. It came forth with great authority and with great clarity. But please listen carefully. The main reason why we are hosting this is for you. Yeah? My, my, my heart is so that we be empowered. We're simply being gracious by opening it up to, to others. It'll be a sad case if most of others come and few of us are here. Amen. And others be empowered and be enriched, and we are lacking in what was designed originally to benefit us the most. Amen. So come on, so will you come this weekend? Hallelujah. I want you to come focusedly, please. Understand this. I took the decision to start teaching this by the command of the Lord. It wasn't my intent. It wasn't my intent. God said this to me. You will now teach it, but you will teach it. I authorize you to teach it. You will teach it with an authority that will will have signs and wonders accompanying the word of the Lord. Amen. And so, it's 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 my my doing of this hosting of this seminar is purely at the beckoning of the Lord, at the command of the Lord. Amen. And I know that God has definitively um, led me this way. Amen. Now I want to just deliver part two of give trustfully everyone say give trustfully trustfully. we spoke in times past of various dispositions of giving dispositions or characteristics that should accompany the attitude of the one who administrates finances the management of finances specifically the giving of finances as offerings to the lord must be done according to certain characteristics Otherwise, God will look upon it and disregard it. So Cain offers an offering from the ground. And the scripture says, The Lord did not regard Cain and his offering. Did not regard Cain and his offering. And Ananias and Sapphira gave gifts and they died in the process. The fact that you're giving is not in and of itself uh, okay enough. It must be done according to proper biblical order, and proper biblical character. It must be done in, according to the nature and the image of God. Amen? So the attitude with which you give, for me, is far more important than what you give. What you give takes on heightened regard from God dependent on the disposition with which you give. Okay? So the, the attitude is very, very important. So this is part two of a particular attitude that I'm trying to encourage when you give. And what I'm suggesting now is, when you give, it must be an expression of how much you trust God. Everyone say, give trustfully. And we've we've attempted in part one, about two or three weeks back, to lay the foundation of trusting God. The Greek and Hebrew words for trust simply mean believe. Everyone say believe. So the trust, Every verse in the Old Testament that says trust God is equated to the New Testament concept of faith in God. He who trusts God has faith in God because the Old Testament Greek, the Old Testament and New Testament Greek for trust indicates the one who believes in God. When I believe in God, I I trust Him. It also suggests reliability and dependability. So when you say, God, I trust you, you're saying, God, I rely upon you. I, de- I depend upon you. And so we looked at verses like, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, Zach, knowledge him, and he will direct your, and he will direct your parts. So trust must be, trust in the Lord with, everyone say, all your heart. All your say all your, all your ways. Say all the time. We, we, we've prosecuted that trust must be with the whole heart. In not some of your ways it must be in, all of your ways. And the Proverbs 3 says, all the time. So trust must be all pervasive. You can't trust God in certain departments and not trust Him in other departments of your life. Amen. Trust must be symptomatic and depictive of the totality of your entire relationship with the Lord. Tell your, ma- tell your neighbor, trust Him more. Come on, trust Him more. right? All your ways, all your heart, all the time. Come on, repeat it after me. All my ways, all my heart, all the time. So must we trust the Lord in all of our ways, with all of our heart, all the time. I then uh, challenge you not to trust in man, which I will do again today. And then I challenge you further that untested trust is unknown trust. Untested faith, is unreliable faith. You can say, I trust. You can say, I have faith. But I let it, tested, it's not reliable. You only know what kind of trust you have and what kind of faith you have when you're in the middle of your trial. It's easy outside of a trial to say, I trust God. But when the problem comes, the problem reveals to you the quality of your trust. It says the trying of your faith. Right? The trying of your faith. So your suffering is unveiled. Your suffering unveils the depth, the integrity, the sincerity of your trust in God. In fact, I think like this: My suffering is an opportunity for trust to grow. My trial, my obstacle, my problem is simply God's way of taking my faith in Him and trusting Him to the next level. So don't see obstacle, don't see hard times, don't see um, impediments as though. God is wanting to, is uh, looking at you in a negative fashion, or is wanting to punish you. The heart of the father towards a son is never punitive. It's never punitive. Even if by his sovereign will, he permits you to go through a thing, his intent is to always discipline you in some respect. For he whom the Lord loves, he, he disciplines. But Suffering is designed to bring out the nature of Christ in us. So the mature son, or the immature son, always asks God, why me? But the mature response is, God, what are you trying to show me? God, what are you trying to teach me? Every struggle, every problem is an opportunity to learn and to to grow. Amen? So no more, why me? Tell your neighbor, no more, why me? never say i mean the problem god why me why now why this why 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 your your response must be god i'm facing this issue you must ask the father what are you trying to teach me what is your ultimate objective in permitting me to go through this why am i going through this there are lessons to be learned tell your neighbor there are lessons to be learned okay There are lessons to be learned. And let me just educate you. If you don't learn the lesson now, God will revisit the trial later until you've learned the lesson. He loves you so much. He will revisit things until you've mastered the objectives for which He has permitted the trial to come into your life. So tell your neighbor, learn quickly then. (laughs) Learn quickly. Learn the lesson quickly and go on. Okay? Let me just say this. You will never be without trial. But you'll go to the next level of trial The trial that is designed to bring out the next level of the nature of Christ in you. right? And so we grow from glory to to glory. From faith to faith. Okay, From faith to faith, it says from glory to glory. I don't want to go over what we've done because I'll never get to where we should be. I'm in the habit of repeating things too much. Now, that that was basically a recap. And I haven't recapped fully. But I want to go on to... Let's look at Proverbs 3. This is part 2 of Give Trustfully. If you've missed part 1, which was a very important foundation to what we're going to say now, I will encourage you, please access the website and listen to part A, Give Trustfully. Now we're looking at the second part of the sermon. You know, I read this, and for the first time, I, I sought Proverbs 3, from verse 1 to 10. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Please look at the verse very carefully. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Favor there is grace, right? Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Honor the Lord from your wealth. And with the first of all your produce, or the first fruits of all your increase, New King James, verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. If you study Proverbs 3, we often take the verse 5 out of its context, and we say, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your parts. We love that verse, but the verse is couched in a context. If you fail to understand the context of the previous and the the following verses, you'll miss the point of why the writer of the book of Hebrews is asking you to trust God. So in the first four verses, he speaks about adhering to the word of the Lord, right? Do not forget my teachings, verse 1. Keep my commandments. Okay, verse 3, kindness and truth must never leave you. And verse 4, you if you hold to the word, you're gonna find favor. Then it says, Trust the Lord with all of your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then immediately afterwards, it says, Now honor the Lord with your wealth. Yeah, can you see the flow of ideas? Right? Give and, and he talks about the first fruit here. He says, Honor the Lord with your first fruit. So listen carefully. I want to speak in two respects this morning. Trust is developed within the context of of your obedience to God's word. Repeat that after me. Trust is developed within the context of obedience to God's word. God says, My son, do not forget my teachings. Do not forget my teachings. Watch the three ideas in the first ten verses of Proverbs 3 is do not forget my teachings, trust in the Lord, and as an expression of that process, honor me with your wealth. Whenever you honor God with your wealth, watch, you telling God and people just how much you trust Him. The giving of finances is an expression of trust. So repeat that after me. Whenever I give, how much I trust God. Say it again. Whenever I give, I demonstrate how much I trust God. So hence I titled this Give Trustfully. When, when money leaves you and it goes to another, to God, His church, His kingdom, the servants of God, or whatever, you're demonstrating to God, see God how much I trust you. Now, my issue is, that trust must be born out of a love for God's Word. Notice how verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my commandments. Repeat it after me. My son, do not forget my commandments. Now, the issue is, when is God forgotten deuteronomy 8 11. quickly deuteronomy 8 11 if i asked you do you forget god most the average christian or son of god says no how can i ever forget god now you're speaking based upon i'm not talking about cognitive remembrance the, the idea of forgetting there is not that you fact him out of your mind uh, scripturally you know scripture must interpret scripture right One scripture gives clarity to another, but it must bear relevance to the other. You can't just use any scripture to corroborate another scripture. You examine the context, the contextual principle of hermeneutics is very, very important. So this verse says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By how? By not keeping His commandments. Let me ask you the question, when is God forgotten? When is God forgotten? When you disobey His commandments, when you not keep His, the wo- God is forgotten whenever His principles are not adhered to. Come on, repeat that of me. God is forgotten whenever His principles are not adhered to. When do you forget God? You can, you can say, I'm a child of God. How can I ever forget him? But you demonstrate your forgetfulness of God when there's a very clear principle He has made known to you and you choose not to obey it, biblically, you have forgotten your Father. Biblically, you have forgotten God. Okay? Now, you've you, you got to measure actions by principles that the Scriptures clearly delineate. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinance and His statutes, which I am commanding you this day. And by the way, I want to read this whole chapter maybe towards the end. There's a whole context within this verse is framed, and you will see later the context. But for now, I want to stress, God is forgotten whenever His word is not obeyed. God is forgotten whenever you take principles that you know to be true, and you sidestep them. You say, I know that He's true, but I'll do it my way, or disobey God. I submit to you, publicly. you have forgotten the Lord. Okay. So Proverbs 3 opened, my son, remember, do not forget my, my teaching, trust in me. So watch, listen carefully. Therefore, I conclude, he who obeys God demonstrates trust. He who is fervent, holding on to the word of the Lord, demonstrates just how much he trusts the Lord. Okay? We can easily say, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. The degree of your trust is measured by the extent of your obedience. Right? The more you obey, you are saying, Lord, see how I trust you. Trust is, I do it your way. I don't choose to do it my way. Okay? Now, ask your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Based on all you've heard, do you trust him? You can say, I trust. What is the litmus test? The litmus test is, the degree to which you obey is... His word demonstrates the extent of your, of your trust in the Lord, okay? Now, there's a lovely verse in Jeremiah chapter 17. I'm going to read from verse 5. This one we've done in the meditation series. And I'll, I've unpacked this quite extensively in that series. don't want to do that now. I just want to make a point here. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. So we mustn't trust in man. And makes, his, makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Uh, now, similarly, you've got to define forgetting God biblically. Biblically forgetting God is when you disobey His commandments, right? So, biblically then, when do you turn away from the Lord? When? According to this verse? When you trust in mankind and you make flesh your strength, biblically you have turned away from the Lord. When you rely on man, listen carefully, on human strength, human intellect, human reasoning, human skill, outside of dependence upon the Lord, biblically, you have turned away from the Lord. Now this is very serious to me. Eh? Remember these messages were born in my spirit on the plane coming back from Trinidad. Right? I was as close to the heavens as I could be. So download was just happening. I was typing furiously in my laptop. Almost uh, the, the the journey coming back. It was born in the journey going, and I finished this these two sermons in the journey coming back. And the Lord was like a slap on my cheek. I heard the Lord saying, "You don't trust me enough. You don't trust me enough." And I said, "But I do. You know, like Peter. Peter, do you love me? You know, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you, uh, Lord, you don't trust me, Lord, but I do." And the Lord said, "Study my word." And I studied, and the Lord said to me, the degree of of your trust is measured by the extent of your obedience. I said, God, I will never turn away from you. How can I turn away from you? God says, every time you lay confidence in humanity, human strength, people, you have turned away from me. Right? You've got to define things biblically, not arbitrarily. Amen? So I'll tell your neighbor, don't turn away from him. Don't turn away from him. Next verse. Watch. Now, let me just stop here. Go back. Everyone say cursed. You know the word cursed here in the Hebrew is arar. And it literally means this. To inflict with a curse or to bind up and hem in with obstacles. And listen to this. To render powerless to resist. To render powerless to resist. So the man who trusts in man who makes flesh his strength is left powerless to resist an obstacle. Do not find your greatest reservoir of strength in man, in humanity, because when the chips are down, you will be powerless to resist and to stand up against the tide of assault that the enemy will leverage against you. Unless the Lord is your trust, this will not work. Now, who wants to live in a realm called Cursed? Right? you might think this is innocent innocuous elementary but the scripture says you become cursed you you migrate out of your blessed estate in christ when you lay great store by by trusting in mankind and verse 6 says the following he will be like a bush now i don't know i don't want to be a bush how do you right? the man who trusts in god is cursed he will be like a bush in the desert and he will not see listen carefully he does not see when prosperity comes, S- prosperity comes. He does not see. It's not that prosperity doesn't come; it comes, but he doesn't. The word "see" there is engage, uh, assimilate, experience. It's not part of his experience. Does not see when prosperity comes, but he lives in stony waste places, in a wilderness, in a land without, sorry, in a land of of salt, without inhabitants. Now, you know, a land of salt, salt is good, but too much salt can kill everything. Not so? A land of salt a wasteland. You know, th- this guy is powerful because it says he lives. Tell you nobody he lives. In a place where no one can live. A place without an inhabitant means uninhabitable. But this man lives there. Right? He lives there. In other words, it, it denotes marginalization. It's like things are happening here. People are gathered. But you go where people are not able to live. It it, it speaks to God um, taking you away from the centrality of his activity. And you go to a place of utter loneliness because you're alone where nobody can live. So you're outside of community, outside of the oneness, outside of the, 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 the gathering of the people of God. Okay, now that's a man called cursed. We don't want to live there, right? Look at the opposite. Comparison is made in the next verse. Seven. Blessed. Everyone say blessed. Blessed. I don't want to live there in cursed. I want to be blessed. Blessed is the man who does what? So the previous guy doesn't trust in God, right? But this guy, he trusts in the Lord. Watch. He trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. You're not just asked to trust in God. God is to be your trust. You can trust in Him when He has become your trust. Listen, the, 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 the Lord is the embodiment of trust, not so? Is He not trustworthy? Come on, talk to me. Is God your Father not worthy of your trust? Is He not worthy to being the recipient and the object to put your confidence, your reliability, your dependability in Him? Yes? Hallelujah so blessed is the man come on let's quote this verse together say it with me with conviction say it and receive the truth of this into your spirit one two three blessed is the man who trusts in the lord and whose trust is the lord there's a song here you must write verse eight he, how will this man be watch the other guys are pushing the desert right we don't want to go there. It's like he's living in a salt land, uninhabitable by humans. He thrives there alone. But this guy is like a tree planted by water that extends its root by a stream. And he will not fear when heat comes. This guy is an amazing guy. Heat comes, but he does not fear. His leaves will be green and it will, not, he will, it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to heal fruit. I love this passage. Yeah? It's one of the most powerful verses in Jeremiah. Right here. Amen? Two things. Everyone say no fear. No fear. Say no anxiety. No Says he will not fear and he will not be yes. anxious. I submit to you, if you develop your trust in God, your fearful days and your anxious days are over. I submit and I place notice today that fear and anxiety will not persist in this congregation. No more fear, no more anxiousness about your future in Christ. Amen? Amen? You might be facing things now, but if you put your trust in God, your Father, listen to what it says. Heat comes, and isn't things hotting up for some of you in your personal circumstances? Maybe your business, maybe your workplace. Uh, uh, maybe with issues relationally with people things are heating up the devil's turning the the extent and the degree of trial and suffering up but this guy has a certain mindset he says I trust God and he is my trust I will not fear when heat comes and I will not be anxious in the year of drought." let me just say there are years of drought coming but in the drought you will be sustained In the drought, you will not go down. I declare you will not go down. In Jesus' name. But, you know, I really want to encourage the church. Please, guys. Everyone say with me with conviction. Say, no fear. fear. Fear Fear is a spirit. It's not an emotion. The Bible says God has not given us the... Everyone say, spirit of fear. Fear is a demonic spirit called fear. It's not normal. The first indication of fear in men was experienced by Adam, the first man. When he disconnected from God, his father, and God came to him in the cool of the day and looked for him, what what did he do? He hid himself. And when God asked him, why are you hiding? The first words out of his mouth is, I feared. Fear was never an emotion that the earth experienced. It was only experienced by a man disconnecting from God, his father. And I want to encourage you. Say, God is my father. I am his son. Said in God is my father. I am his son. If, if, you, if you trust Father, fear and anxiety must leave you. Peter says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanks, giving, let your request simply be made known to God. Your position in prayer, letting your request be made known to God, is some of the ways you deal with anxiety. Some of the ways you deal with fear. You know what David said in Psalm 30? He said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Repeat after me. What time? time I am afraid. afraid. What, What is he saying? He says, listen, he's not claiming to be superhuman, right? He's saying, I'm still a man after all, right? So if in my humanity, I have fleeting moments when I submit to a spirit of fear. He says, that time what time i am afraid i will let the trust factor kicking in again i will trust in in you what time i am afraid i will trust in you now isn't this a powerful picture right hallelujah he's positioned where <laughs> He positioned by a stream his roots go into the bedrock of the stream. And I like this last, and I trust, I'm trusting God for this. It does not cease to yield fruit, even in drought and even when heat comes. I call this unceasing fruitfulness. Everyone say unceasing, unceasing. fruitfulness. Which Psalm does this remind you of, you Bible students? Psalm 1 same language look at someone same language someone now you got to you got to compare scripture with scripture right so how can i get there that's what we want to know right how can we get to this position someone tells you plainly blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked so watch stay away from wicked company people that are alien to the purposes and principles of god don't stand in the parts of sinners, nor sit in the seats of the scoffers. Sitting in a seat means you're sitting in judgment. The whole idea of sitting in the Bible denotes a person is judgmental. And you scoff, you scandal, and you deride others. Don't do that. Everyone say walk, walk. say stand, yeah. say sit. Watch. It's, it talks about three positions walk, stand, sit. Don't walk with the wicked. Don't stand in the path of sinners and don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Sit, walk, stand encompasses the entirety of your life, right? Keep, keep your separateness, your distinctive as a son of God. That's good, but I want, I'm interested in what follows after this. Verse 2, watch. His is is in the? Yes. Law of the Lord. And in his? Yes. law, what does this man do? He meditates yes. day and night. And then you get the result of this man positioned by the stream of water, right? Then it says verse 3, watch. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. Again, unceasing fruitfulness, heals its fruit in his season, his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does succeeds. Or it it prospers. And you can read on and on, but because of time, I want to get to something. But the point I want to I want to bring to us is how is trust developed? Trust is developed. By delighting and meditating in God's Word. The trust factor in you can grow the more the Word of God grows in you. This man, remember, now Jeremiah 17 speaks about the man who trusts God, positioned by the streams of water. Heat comes, he doesn't fear. He's not anxious in in the year of drought. His leaf is still green, and he does not cease to bear fruit. Then someone explains Jeremiah 17 by saying, The same man positioned by the stream of water, his leave does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. That man is defined as one who delights. Everyone say delights. I promise you, I encourage you to revisit my series on the primacy of God's Word. It was really one of the first set of teachings we did. For me, that's my favorite. Because if I love God's Word with all of my heart, and I meditate on it perpetually, I get this result. My trust, you know why, why trust is developed by delighting and meditating on God's Word? You know why? Because the Word of God reveals the nature of God, right? And as you, as you meditate on the Word and study the Word, watch, the nature of God is revealed, and what you see of the nature of God in the Word of God, you become transformed into that same image and likeness. So if you're battling to trust God, maybe you haven't seen the Lord as your trust. And maybe you fail to view the Lord as your trust because you give scant attention to Bible reading, Bible meditation, loving God's word, listening to the word of the Lord, listening to the CDs, listening to to the teachings. The more you listen carefully, the more you fill up your spirit and your mind with the sound. Everyone say the sound. How does faith come? Yeah. Not by reading. Faith comes by yeah. gotta hear something. Faith comes by hearing. Your faith grows. And what is faith? The Old Testament equivalent of trust. Your belief starts to grow in Christ. And all the blessings of Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 1 become your experience. So tell your neighbor, love the word. Love the word. Right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. Where is this man positioned? Come on, talk to me. By the streams of water or waters. This verse says, when John the Revelator saw an image of Christ, a vision, who appeared to him, his feet were as burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And how was his voice? His voice was like the sound of, not one water, the sound of, Many waters. In a waterfall like the Niagara, um, you hear one sound from a distance. If you're away from the waterfall, it's a massive waterfall. Oh, you hear the gush and the roar of water. They say, I haven't experienced a waterfall. It's one thing I must tick off on my list one day. (laughs) Okay. So, but they say, the more you go closer to the waterfall and when you are at it, you hear distinct separate sounds of different columns of water that are falling at different rates and with different volumes of water. And you're able to distinguish the sound of many waters. But from a distance, you have one roar, okay? Closer, it's, it's harmonic, melodic, you're able to distinguish different sounds. This verse says that the sound of his voice, John says, John is hearing God, the Lord speak to him. He says, I'm hearing something. This one voice, watch, singular voice, plural waters. One voice, sound of many waters. And in my uh, Primacy of the Word series, I said to you that it's the complements of different sounds of waters from valid, authentic, apostolic streams that flow, that make up the big roar, that you must expose your heart to. Not just one column of water. You need the waterfall. Right? So in that respect, I will encourage you then. Listen to all of my teachings. Listen to Pastor Thamon my father in Christ. He started a powerful series now called, the right, called Righteousness. I listened to the first session one of the nights in Lusaka. I listened to the whole thing. It was so phenomenal. Right? I think today he's doing part two at Santon. By Monday afternoon, I would have gotten part two into my spirit. That's what I do. I prioritize it so much. My Father in the Lord is speaking. The sound of the voice, will, I will internalize it, right? And, uh, and other authentic, there are a host of people around the world that are very credible, very authentic. The main voice should be your spiritual father and anybody else that, that uh, he perhaps would recommend Or perhaps it would be beneficial to your growth in God. Amen. Everyone say many waters. waters. Amen. But you must test the waters. (laughs) Not every water is legit. Okay. Not every water is legit. Okay. And then quickly Psalm 34 verse 8. You know this one very well. Psalm 34 verse 8. Watch the flow of ideas now. Watch. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is... Good, how blessed is the man who takes, now the word refuge here in some versions of your Bible is denoted trust, taste and see that the Lord is, good, how blessed is the man who who trusts in the Lord, right, now every time I travel and I come home, my welcome meal at home that Renee makes is mutton curry, and I usually smell it from the gate, Jump out of the car, that, that smell hits you. It's my visa back home. <laughs> come in, come in. right? So the smell is one thing, but tasting is another. The smell indicates what is to come. You, you, you can't smell the curry and say, wow, what a powerful curry. Right? The smell is simply the introduction. A taste and see. In other words, tasting grants perspective. You've got to engage the tasting factor To get perspective and sight. Now watch the next verse quickly. Again, follow this this flow of ideas. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. What did I do to the word I? I Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is equivalent to eating the word. And I ate them and your words came for me. The joy and the delight of my heart. Now watch this next one, Job 34, 3. Job 34, 3 says, For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. The ear tests words as the the palate tastes food. How do you taste and see that the Lord is good? By testing the word with your with your ear. The more acute you're listening, the, the greater the quality of your tasting, for whatever of a bit of the scripture. The more, if you can bend the ear and listen more acutely, tell your neighbor, listen more thoroughly. Our attention to God speaking is far too fleeting. I want to say that again. Your attention to what God is speaking, you're giving far too scant regard for that. And I'm talking about what He's speaking to this local congregation. Because if you're here... Then you are submitted to me to be to watch over you, to watch over your soul, to grow the image and nature of Christ in you. So every word we speak, I want to encourage you. Taste and that the Lord is definitely good. But some of us are not tasting because we haven't trained the ear to listen more acutely. Amen. As, as the ear tests words, so does the palate taste food. And you will find uh, another similar verse in Job 12 verse 11. I won't go there now. Proverbs 16 verse 20. Watch. Proverbs 16 20. How is trust developed? By your delight in meditation upon and obedience to the word of the Lord. Then you prove God is not forgotten. This verse corroborates that. He who gives attention to the word will find good and blessed is the one who Trust in the Lord. You, de- you demonstrate your trust levels by the attention you give to the Word. I don't know why I'm picking this up. Listen, please, brethren. P- be, let me be personal. Pastor Thomas, is my father in Christ. It is unthinkable for me to say you are my father and not let these ears hear the doctrine from his lips. I make it my priority. By Monday evening, I know exactly what he taught on Sunday the next day at his local church. what? Why do I do that? I'm tasting and seeing that the Lord is he's good. I will encourage you, if you miss a sermon here, for whatever reason, make sure you hear it. You know what? You're missing on key components by which we are building into your spirit. Test of fathering, the litmus test, or rather... The principle that defines father-son relationships is the flow of grace through the word of the Lord. You take that component away, there's no father-son relationship. Yeah? The word defines everything. The word is critical, the word is central, and the word is, is very important. Check out the same verse. I'm going to quote it from the New Living Translation. The NLT says, same verse, those who listen to instruction will prosper. Who wants to prosper? Those who listen to instruction will prosper. And those who trust in the Lord will be joyful. Psalm 84 verse 11. Watch. One of my favorite psalms and favorite verses in the psalm. 84 11 and 12 says, Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. And what does he give? Two things. He gives grace and he gives glory. glory." Then he says, no good thing will he withhold from those that walk. Uprightly, O Lord, verse 12. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who who trusts in you. Again, I want to encourage you. Your trust in God will not go unrewarded. He will give you grace and he will give you glory. And no good thing will he withhold from those who trust him. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now, I want to encourage you. So can we all conclude? Are we all going to resolve this morning? My trust grows when my delight in meditation on and obedience to the word of the Lord grows. Yeah? Are you going to taste food similarly and let your ear test words? Yeah? Are you going to hear more? Come on, talk to me. Are we going to hear more? Yeah? Are you? <laughs> if you're not, we might as well close your up, right? Because that for me is very important. My dealings with you is nothing more, nothing less than the word that flows to you. But if you're disregarding that, there's no hope for you for experiencing the blessedness of the man in in Jeremiah 17. Otherwise, you take God's law and you forget it. And God is forgotten whenever his principles are not adhered to. Okay? Now tell your neighbor, we must not forget God. Come on, we must not forget God. I said to you, God is forgotten when His principles are no longer adhered to. Right? We must not forget the Lord. Now, Matthew 6, from verse 19. There are two scriptures in the Bible which, when viewed together, explain particular aspects about each other. And these two scriptures, are, if you view these together, they explain each other. It's Matthew 6, 19 and 20, and the other is Proverbs 3, 5, the one we've just quoted. Let's look at Matthew 6.19 first. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. Then he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And you know Proverbs 3, verse 5 says. Trust in the Lord with all, everyone say all of your heart, right, with all of your heart. So Matthew 6, 20, um, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also, and Proverbs 3, 5 says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now listen to what I've written in my notes um, as the Lord gave it to me, I don't want to m- misrepresent it. Listen carefully. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Not so. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That which we value the most, you will apply yourself wholeheartedly to and seek to secure it. It could be said that you could locate your heart by focusing on where your money goes. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where's your heart? Come on, where's your heart? Where your treasure is. So you can follow the destination of your money And locate where your priorities are. Where your heart is. right? Since money reveals a great deal about our value systems and principles. If we are to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and the flow of our money reveals the location of our hearts then how I handle finances indicates where my trust is. Say it again. Listen please carefully to this. If I'm to trust him with how, with all of my heart. And if simultaneously, the flow of my money indicates the location or the destination of my heart, then how I handle finances will depict to me and tell me where my trust is. The flow of your de- the flow of your finances reveals in whom or in what you are trusting. And if God is not the recipient of your finances or the part due to him, like tithes, first fruits, and offerings, and if that which should be God's is redirected to another destination, you can say to God all you want to, you have my heart, but your money reveals how much of your heart he has. And what you are saying is, the location of my money reveals to me in whom or in what I am trusting. Easy to say I trust God, but show me where your money is going, and I'll tell you whether you are trusting Him or not. Then I'm saying to you, but why are you doing that? Not trusting God by redirecting your finances elsewhere. Then I deduce. Don't love God's Word. Don't delight in God's Word. Don't meditate on God's Word. Because if that is the process, trust will be the result. And if trust is the result, with all your heart... And where your treasure is, your heart be also. Then you will direct your finances, at least portions of it, that should go to the Lord. It will be, it will be directed in that way. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. So come on, just bump your neighbor and say, so do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Proverbs eleven twenty-eight. 28. I want to get these, and please listen to this recording over and over again this week. Okay? Get these principles into your spirit. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight 28 says, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. I love this verse. So uh, last time I said to you, don't trust in man, right? But now yeah, it says don't trust in, in wealth or in riches. It's not wrong to have money, but you mustn't trust in it. It is, it is perfectly normal to be financially wealthy and highly spiritual. Don't think they are incompatible. There's a false view that says you cannot be extremely wealthy and be spiritual. That's wrong. And they, they purport the opposite by saying you shall spiritually are by how poor you are. That's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. That's extremely wrong. Right? It's God's clear intent that we be well taken care of. I am saying, why am I saying all of this and why am I teaching with such passion? Listen to me, church. I said to you, some of you are going to be some of the most blessed people. Do you believe that? Yes? It only dawned upon me in Lusaka. All the commands for first fruits, especially first fruits, Thai and tithes, were given, I think in the second year of Israel's 40-year journeys in the wilderness. Why tell Israel, when you come into the land and you get the first harvest of your crops, give the best ripe, the first ripe produce to the Lord, Shouldn't you have told them that maybe just a year before they're going to go attack Jericho? Why tell the guys 40 years? You see, God wanted to ingrain the principle in them, even when they had nothing. So that when they come into it, it would be automatic. It would be reflexive. I'm saying to you, you might be journeying right now. You might be in your wilderness right now. Right now God is installing principles, installing principles so that when riches do, do come your way, it doesn't kill you. Because by that time, you're going to be financially blessed. Prophesy over you. You'll have you'll administrate huge volumes of money. But before you get there, what is God doing now? God is busy cementing unalterable key principles so that when it does happen, you don't fall at that stage. So this verse is, he would, let me just say this, money make you funny. Those of you remember, Pastor LeVoy say, money make you funny. There's nothing that reveals the heart of a man like money. There's nothing that showcases character like money. Money exaggerates whatever is in you. right? Some of you actually right now don't know what is in you, but money will show it. Hmm? In fact, lots of it, or the lack of it, will reveal what's in your heart. Yeah? Now, come on, you look like you don't believe me. <laughs> Do you believe that you're going to be blessed? Why is Randolph saying that? Am I just wishing you well? No. I believe the prophecies, three prophecies, that God said to us. What I'm doing now is, we are positioning Our mentalities with proper principles. So that when the riches do come, everyone say trust. We're dealing with trust here. Our trust, it's easy, and I'll show you in a moment, for large volumes of money to redirect your trust away from God and you begin to put your trust in the source or the mediums or the systems by which you employed to access that money. In fact, money has that effect. Do you know the same verse in our in NLT says the following? Where is it now in my notes? Yeah. Trust in money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. Look at Psalm 62 verse 10. B. Psalm 62 verse 10. This last part, watch. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them the bible would not say this if god in his wisdom knows the power of money to seduce a man away from trusting god and in now starts to trust in his in his riches matthew 13 verse 22 quickly matthew 13 and verse 22 <coughs> matthew 13 and verse 22 this is the seed that was sown among the thorns remember there were four locations where seed fell The ground full of thorns is interpreted in this fashion. The one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, watch, this is the man. So he hears the word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. He got the word, loves the word, all of that. You can have everything I've said to you up to this point. Love the world. Meditate. You're hearing the words of your spiritual father. Your trust factor is growing. But watch, and the worry of this world. And watch. The deceitfulness of wealth is wealth deceitful. Yes, and before you come into it, you better know its power. Yeah. It it is deceptive in that it has an allure. It has seductive effects. It can seduce a man away from trusting God and putting his trust in this very thing. Right? The deceitfulness of wealth, do what to the word? So if your trust is based on the word, wealth's intent is to choke the word. Because if he chokes the word, he chokes chokes God as your trust. And you now start to trust in the wealth itself and the word becomes unproductive unfruitful tell your neighbor do not underestimate the power of of money the scripture says or the deceitfulness of riches or the deceitfulness of of wealth okay first timothy chapter 6 verse 6 to 10 first timothy chapter 6 verse 6 to 10 hallelujah i want to encourage you think wealthy everyone say with me think wealthy Think wealthy. Don't think with the poverty mindset. I want to encourage you, think abundance. Think plenty. Don't think uh, lack. Don't think just enough. Don't think uh, I will never break the cycle of poverty I've seen in my parents. Don't think that way. As a man thinks so, so easy. Right now, I'm thinking abundance. I'm not, I'm not basing decisions based upon budgets. I'm thinking like a king. And you must do the same. And you must trust God. Amen? Trust God. So, let uh, me ask you again, because some of you look like you're doubting. Do you believe that you're going to be blessed? Yeah? Do you believe it? Do you accept it? Is an abundant thought in your mind. No poverty, no lack. Yeah. Think. Begin to behave like it. Begin to behave like it. But now, when it comes, don't let it seduce you away from God. The deceitfulness of riches can take you away, right? And no, But it says godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. A King James language, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That verse simply tells us, be content. Tell someone, be happy, be content, right? In other words, Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I find myself therewith to be content, and he said this, watch, he said, I know how to abound, but I also know how to be abased, and he makes this, he says, in whatever state I find, abundance or abasement, I have learned therewith to be content, some of you mustn't do this, I'm saying all these prophecies in God's heart to you of our blessed estate, and you might say, but Randolph, check where I am now, so far off from the things you are saying, all I'm saying to you right now, where you are, have a spirit of, of contentment. Right? Don't let your external, uh, your lack, if it's lack right now, don't let that define your internal happiness or joy or, you, or your levels of contentment. Right? Don't let that define. So you learn. If God permits you to go through a season of lack, and He does so sometimes, just to to test our faith, to develop us, to prune us, to discipline us, whatever reasons he has, then in those seasons, you learn contentment. If contentment doesn't come naturally to you, you will learn it. I have learned, he said, to be content. And then verse 7, we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, um, With these shall we be content, and those who want to get rich. You know, when I read this verse, (laughs) you want to get rich. Who doesn't want that, right? (laughs) But you know, the the impression here, I don't know if I have the Greek word. I've studied this. I'm not sure if I recorded it in my notes. In a moment, let me just read verse 10, and I'll comment on this. Go to verse 9. Everyone say, those who want to get rich. What is the danger of pursuing riches, according to this verse? You fall into what? You fall into temptation and traps. Snare is a trap. And many foolish, harmful desires which plunge men into destruction. The point is, if riches are not administrated with proper godly mentalities and principles, the very thing can kill you and take you away from God. Right? So, The word want to is an obsessive, uncanny, ambitious desire to get rich at all costs. If you study this in the Greek, it's even at the cost of flouting godly principles just so we can get the money. That's all the work. If that's your pursuit, the thing you pursue will bring ruin, foolish, and harmful desires and plunge men into destruction. I need to make a point here. They say that the means justify the end. That's the world. The kingdom says, no, the means do not justify the end. You might argue, so long as the end is obtained, so long as the result is had, so long as I get to the end, how I get there is not important. No, it's very important to God how you got there. Tell someone, I need to make this point. Tell someone it's very important to God. How you got there. yeah? So you can't lie, cheat, and steal. And you come into an abundance and say, Woohoo, God has blessed me. I've attained the end. But what means did you employ to get there? The means are just as important to God as the end. You never employ and flout known values publicly with the hope of coming into money and think that God's going to wink at it? No, He won't. He will judge you for it because you are supposed to be His son that must function with righteousness and integrity before the Lord. Right? I'm very concerned how I get things. My process mustn't disqualify me to attain the end. Hallelujah. So tell your neighbor, watch your process. Watch your process. It's not just the result, it's how we get there that's very, very important uh, to the Lord. And look at verse 10, just quickly. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Just for for context, money is not evil. Money is not evil, right? You know that? What is evil? The love for money is evil. So listen, when I say we're going to be wealthy, what I'm not saying is that we love money. God's going to use it as a medium through which He's going to allow us to transmit spiritual purposes all across the globe. Yeah? It takes money to go to nations, right? A- and, and to sow like we do materials. I said to you, my heart is to one day have a, a media room. A you know, picture like a nice decent-sized room with production of all sorts of things going on. Music CDs, audio CDs, sermon CDs, books, manuals any kind of media to be exported globally. Do you believe we can get there? Come on. Yeah, we can get there. I'm telling you, this you're going to see this with your eyes. You will see this with your eyes. So I'm not pursuing money for its own sake. I'm pursuing the purposes of the Lord for which money is necessary. But I never love money because if I love money, the love for money, watch, when it says all sorts, it does not mean some sorts. All sorts means all sorts. What is this saying? It's, this is saying, every kind of evil on the planet can in some way or the other be traced back in its microcosm to a love for money. Yeah? To a love for money. Amen. So tell your neighbor, don't love money, love the Lord. Now yes, the, the word I want. Longing after. Remember you want to get rich in the previous verse now this one says for some which they long after it wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows the old king james or many griefs yeah now the word is orego in the greek longing for orego and it simply means to stretch out the hand and to snatch Everyone do this. It's like you're taking, it's like you, you're going beyond and you want to snatch. It also means to covet unduly after. Covetous spirit and greed overtakes you. If there's money to be had, my hand is there. Right? And you stretch forth after it, you desire. It also means to be ambitious or to indulge in. Now let me just say this. These signs shall follow them that Believe, Jesus said. I want to say this to all of you: don't chase money, money will chase you. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does God say? All these things shall be shall be added unto you. I submit to you that if you if you maintain image and likeness, live a life of righteousness and integrity before the Lord, be passionate about doing God's will. God will ensure that He will redirect resources. To facilitate his purposes in you, because he knows your eye is not on the money. Your eye is on the facilitation of the spread of his word and his and his kingdom, right? And so, I really want to encourage you: stop chasing money. Tell someone: stop chasing it. Stop chasing it. Now, let me say this: I need to qualify because, in case you hear what I'm not saying, right? Because <laughs> a lot of people wherever I go, they always hear what I'm not saying, right? <laughs> it is fine to be aggressive, and to have goals, like in business or other things, with, with the idea of this is God's will, this is part of my process to attain great wealth. Your eye is not on well to pursue it, but you want to fulfill destiny. If you perceive that God has put a particular plan, business plan, work program, or whatever, in your heart, it's fine to do your best at being best, at that system God has given you to attain the wealth. Because you must be a good steward over what God, what God gave you. Because he will bless good stewardship. What I'm saying is, do not use what I'm saying now as a reason to be indisciplined and to lack um, zeal. It's different when you are zealous than what these words suggest, longing after with, with great ambition to try and accrue riches unto yourself. Amen? So you still be intense. Sell someone still be intense. I'm not suggesting laziness. No, I'm suggesting uh, indifference and all of that. You still be focused. That's verse ten, right? If you drop down to verse seventeen, watch. Drop down to verse seventeen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. F- you know the word conceited here is pride. It's amazing how money can make a man proud, yeah? Paul, who is Timothy? Paul's son in the Lord, right? Paul is instructing Timothy, says, if anyone is rich. Now, I mean, of all the issues Paul could have spoken to Timothy about. Paul knows, hey, at Ephesus especially, where Timothy was in charge, Ephesus was a port city on the coast. It was the gateway to Asia, minor. A lot of trade and transactions took place there. So in the church at Ephesus, over which Timothy was responsible, undoubtedly, there would be a lot of wealthy businessmen and wealthy people in the church. So when Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, tell oh by the way, those rich people in your church, instruct them. Tell you neighbor instruct them. He says, you teach them. The word instruct is to teach, didactic, is to teach those who are rich in this world, what must they be careful of? They must be careful of conceit have you ever met a rich proud person ever come on you must have right (laughs) isn't it distasteful isn't it a put-off right when a person uses his wealth to brag about his ego and look disdainfully upon others that have less than him but have you ever met a rich man who is equally humble right where you don't allow riches To inflate your ego. Yeah? There was an illustration that goes, a very rich man disguised himself as a beggar, a bum, street man. Dirty, smelling, put smelly clothes on. And he walked into a a showroom of a car sales place that sells Porsches. And he just walked in there, intending to buy one. (laughs) <laughs> he just walked in there, and obviously, none of this. There were four or five salesmen on the floor. Nobody greeted him. No one regarded him. And no one offered him any service. And so he just went around, and the one guy came to him. and said, "Listen, you, waste, you, sh- what are you doing there?" Wanted to chase him out. The manager was viewing this from a distance, and he came out and he greeted the man. Oh, sir, sir can I help you? What do you want? I'd oh, like to buy that car. And the man shocked. What? You buy that car? He said, "Yeah, the money's in my bag. I want to buy it cash right now." And the manager got the sale. Why? You see, the rich parade themselves in such a way. I'm talking about the rich with conceit. Parade them such a way as that what they have build an image around them, and it's it that's not bad in itself, but it's very bad to rely upon. It upon what you have to determine your identity what you have mustn't determine who you are okay and so it is very very important I'm saying this to educate you because when the wealth does come it mustn't change who you are it mustn't alter your perception right you still carry yourself it's fine to wear nice things I'm not saying now play it down in terms of how you dress I'm not saying that all I'm saying is watch your men mentality. Don't be conceited. But what must they do to, ob- to, 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 to not to fall into that trap? But to do what? They mustn't fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. By the way, there is an uncertainty of riches. You could have it today. It could be removed from you too. Tomorrow It's very uncertain. It's the most unreliable thing to put your trust in. But in God, who richly supplies us, all things to enjoy. Again, God is put it up against wealth. Paul is saying to Timothy, hey Timothy, at Ephesus, instruct the rich people, don't rely on certain riches, but in God who supplies and gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 11, quickly. The next verse, sorry. Uh, 18. Instruct them to do what? To do good and to be rich in good works and to be rich generous and to be ready to share next verse for by doing this they will be storing up there themselves tre- treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the king james's life eternal or life indeed so what should rich people do i'm talking to rich people tell you maybe talking to you <laughs> talking to rich people yeah right come on i'm talking to rich people Talking to you, that's your destiny. When it comes, watch, to God against conceit and to God against trusting in them. One thing you can do is to give. It says you are encouraged to be generous. Be ready to share. For in by doing this, you're setting up a foundation for the life to come. A so, solid foundation for what is to come and you're laying hold of eternal life. Now, when I I read this, right, and I was meditating upon this in Lusaka, uh, Friday night. So I I kept staring at this verse. And I said, Lord, I'm going to encourage the rich people to be good. And then what I was subconsciously saying is, I'm not there yet. But the Lord says, but you are there. I said, but not at the level I want. So the Lord says, well, start behaving like it. So then Lord said to me, then you now start to practice giving generously and readiness to share as a testimony that you've attained the position. Don't wait to attain the position to practice the expectation. You fulfill the expectation to, to affirm the fact that you've arrived at the position. So I was coming back at ORT. And you know what I practice is? I love these guys in the toilets, Right. Welcome to my office, they say. Welcome to my office. And there's this young fellow. Oh, the smile of that will break anybody's bad day. Welcome, sir, to my office. I thought, Lord, what are you saying now to me? And so I would normally give them 50 rand or 100 rand. And I gave this guy 200 rand. This, this this guy. Because he welcomed me. He so said, this is a 200 Rand worth welcome. <laughs> you know, he welcomed to my office. So I just pulled it out and I gave him. Uh, the guy before me gave him, I think it was 2 Rand. It was a gentleman before me. As he was he gave him 2 Rand. So now I'm in my bag. I'm trying to find my wallet. I eventually found it. And I said to him, God bless you. And he stopped. He says, what? 200 Rand? I said, no, you've got a good office. <laughs> So I said this to him, this is to show you what God thinks about you. God is just using me as a conduit of his love to demonstrate to you what you mean to God. And we appreciate the work that you're doing here, those of us who travel, right? So what am I doing? I couldn't ill afford to give him that, but what am I doing? The Lord said to me, act as though you're rich. Start to practice the results or the expectation of the rich even before you attain it. Amen? So repeat after me. Go back to the previous verse, 18. Tell someone next to you, (laughs) I instruct you. Come on, tell them, I instruct you to do good and to be rich in good works. And be generous and be ready to share. And so testify of your richest state in God. Yeah. Help somebody out. I was I was pleased by I think Ian's attempt to help. What's the guy's name Ian? Sia. To help him launch his CD and raise funds for him. That's commendable. What are you doing? Good works. Good works don't earn salvation but listen carefully. For by grace are you saved through? I'm quoting Ephesians 2 8 and 9 For by grace are you put it up. For by grace are you saved through? Faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, next verse, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast, people like to stop there, but read on, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand, so we should, you see, I don't uh, I don't do good works to earn salvation, but once saved, I'm prepared for good works. I entered the economy of doing good to everyone that may that may need it. Amen. Luke 12, verse 20 and 21. You remember that the guy who built he had bonds and he had a lot of produce and he said, I'm gonna break the bonds down. I'm gonna build bigger bonds. What is the idea? I'm gonna keep more, I'm gonna hoard. I'm going to store, it's me, for my family and nobody else. I'm not going to share with anyone. I'm going to increase my storage capacity and not my giving capacity. That's what he's saying, this guy. So God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Next verse. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, and watch, and is not rich towards God. It is possible to be rich financially and not rich towards, towards God. Uh, it is possible to be rich financially and spiritually rich towards God simultaneously, depending on how you administrate the finances. Yeah? It's possible that both those positions are held. Now in closing, go to Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy 8. Let's read this together and then we're going to pray. I love to read large portions of scripture because I believe in the power of of the read or the spoken word. Please listen with intent, guys. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. You are being equipped of how to handle finances and riches when you come into it. And God knew it. He had to do the same to Israel. All the commandments that I am commanding you today shall be, you shall be careful to do, that you might live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your to your fathers, forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you in the wilderness these 40 years, and that He might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, and he let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. That's in itself as a miracle, right? These guys had one pair of shoes for 40 years. How's that? Okay. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Tell someone we're coming into a good land. So God is, God is priming the mind just before they enter this bounty he's priming the mind he says bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills wow what a land we want to go there right the people are ready okay next verse a land of wheat and barley vines fig trees pomegranates a land of olive and and honey a land where you will eat food without scarcity in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig de- copper right? All sorts of, of, of industry. But yes, the caution God says, when you are eaten and are satisfied, you will bless the Lord your God from the good land which He has given you. Beware, tell someone, beware. God knows the power, the seductive power of blessing. He says, beware. Why must you beware? That you do not forget. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By not keeping His commandments. I told you He's forgotten when His commandments are not kept. Do not, by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, otherwise, if you do that, if you, if you forget him, when you are eaten and you are satisfied and you have built good houses and you are now living in them and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied, your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you will forget The Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Tell someone, never ever forget where God took you from. Come on, tell someone, never forget where you come from. Never forget those early days. Right? Out of the house of slavery, he led you through a great and terrible wilderness. With its fiery serpents and scorpions. And thirsty ground where there was no water. And he brought water for you out of a rock of flint. Miraculous. In the wilderness he fed you with manna which your fathers did not know. That he might humble you and that he might test you. To do good for you in the end. I'm here to encourage someone. You might be saying, God, life has been so hard. The Lord humbled you. The Lord tested you. To see what's in your Heart, but I prophesy over you. But now, and I say this corporately and generally now you are so ripe and ready to enter the good land which the Lord your God forever determines you should experience. Tell someone you are ready, you're right there. I say this to you seriously you are right there, you've been tested sufficiently, says the Lord. I've pruned you, at all sides tested you in this and in that, in this and in that, because I had to humble you, discipline you, and check what's in your heart. But God says, but now to do good for you in the end, your end will be a good end. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a, a future. Look at the next verse. Otherwise, you might say in your heart, yes, the temptation, my power and my strength, the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. Whenever you don't ascribe God as the source of all your success, you've just announced the end of your success. Whenever you don't consciously stop and say, God, thank you. It's you. Without you, this would never have materialized. Verse 18, but, Yes, the famous scripture that most prosperity preachers quote, right? And most times they quote it out of context. You know the context, right? I love this verse. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who does what? Who is giving you the power to make wealth. Where does the power to make wealth come from? Come on, all the young people, you're going to be very wealthy, yeah? I know, yeah? Yes, young people? I can't hear you. Yes, young people? Let's repeat this together. One, two, three. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you power to make wealth. Why? That He might confirm His covenant which He swore to you and to your fathers as it is this day. Verse 19 and 20, then we will close. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, and money is another god, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you, you will surely perish. Likewise, the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so you shall perish. Why? Because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Very, very, very important. Come, let's stand. Just quickly. Father, we pray your blessing. Come and lift your hands over the entire congregation now. Yes. I thank you, Father, that you have, you, you have positioned us to steward great wealth. And on, on your behalf, I bless your sons. I bless your daughters. I bless your people with grace, the requisite grace, the required grace, for them to manage the large volumes of wealth and riches that you're going to bring into our hands. Father, we believe We believe this word and we want to pledge, promise you. We want to do this seriously, Father. We promise you we will not forget you by not heeding your word. We promise you our hearts will not go away from you. Keep us sober, keep us circumspect, keep us focused upon loving you and doing your work without the deceitfulness of riches, choking the words, the words, the very words that were responsible for breakthroughs. Let not the breakthrough begin to choke that word. We promise, everyone say we promise. promise. Father, we promise that Lord, we would be faithful to you. We will not forget it is the Lord, our God, that gives us the power to get wealth. We will not forget you, God will not forget you. In Jesus' name, amen.